Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. Hi everyone, I'm Aaron Noonan. Welcome along to the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Doric, suppliers of window and door hardware to homes and apartments across Australia, New Zealand and Asia. Now I told you we're going to be talking to one of the biggest names in Australian motorsport in the lead up to episode two and they don't come much bigger than this guy. He's a winner of nine Formula One Grand Prix, two of them at Monaco. He's a world endurance champion. He's a Porsche ambassador. He's Aussie Grit. He's Mark Webber. He's our guest on the podcast this week. Now, Mark's retired from active racing duty, but he's still really busy as an ambassador for Porsche. And it's in that role that I caught up with him earlier in the year at the Bathurst 12-hour GT race. Now, a few highlights from our chat ahead for you to listen out for. He talks about how he once stalked F1 team owner Eddie Jordan. He talks about how he owns one of his old F1 cars, but why it's not the car that he was supposed to get. He talks about how his first Formula Ford race car came from a future supercars legend, listening to find out who, and why he never actually ever raced in the Bathurst 1000, despite some approaches uh, before and after his Formula One career. Now, a massive thank you to the team at Porsche Cars Australia who squeezed us in to Mark's really busy schedule of engagements uh, at the 12 hour this year, and they let us do the chat in one of their transporters, but it actually turned out to be very, very intimate with the lights off because there were cars on the track, so we had to close the door, so therefore it was completely dark, so it was Weber and I sitting in the dark with V8 Loop podcast audio guru Will Dale and Chris Jordan, the Porsche PR fan, all sitting in the dark listening to our chat. You might hear the odd uh, break up in the audio. That's Mark elbowing the printer that was next to where he was sitting. Anyway... Mark might never have raced a touring car, but he spent his career in a lot of V8-powered machines. So therefore, he gets a gig on the V8 Sleuth podcast, and after all, he's a champion bloke too. So here we go, Mark Weber on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Doric. Hey Mark, great to catch up with you on the V8 Sleuth podcast. We're a little bit different in our world here. We don't want to ask you all the obvious stuff that you've answered a gazillion times over the years. Hmm. Rewind me back to, I want to start your Formula Ford days here in in, in Oz. Is it right to say that your first Formula Ford was a Craig Lowndes car? That's what a lot of our followers would be interested in. How did that all happen? Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Craig won the championship in 93 and... Yeah, that car was on the market at the end of the season. There was a few uh, RF93s around, but uh, through uh, a, I did a racing school um, at Oran Park, and we got to meet uh, at the time Greg Siddle, Steve Knott, some of those guys, and they were obviously close to the importing situation of those cars. We didn't want to get a brand new car, obviously, because um, that would have been pretty pricey. Obviously, Craig's car was well put together, um, and so we bought that, which was, again, a big step for us to, to get that type of car, but um, yeah, so, yeah, grab that, and obviously, we had great history, and um, I didn't have nowhere near the success Craig had in that car, absolutely not, in my first year in Formula Ford. Um, we had a very small team, I mean, nothing engineering-wise, uh, it was not, it was just very, very, very immature, and all very... 
um, you know, inexperienced in terms of what that car needed and what I needed to do on the tracks here in Australia. So, uh, yeah, that's right. We had Lounge's car and um, Frank, I saw Frank the other day actually, um, so had a good chat to Frank and we reminisced about that and I'm always in touch with Craig on social media. So, yeah, they're a good family. And then you stepped up the next year to a, a current year car mm. the yellow pages deal happens yeah, yeah. so you're in the class of jason bright jason bargwana gavin monaghan was kicking around mm. um pretty competitive sort of a year have a look back at the old channel seven vision there yeah. there's some bloody good fights yeah there was some good racing actually um it was yeah i mean formula ford in australia always was always has been you know pretty comp- competitive at the front um and a great initiation into getting yourself exposed to the bigger circuits, uh, handling some of the tactics. Obviously, first bit of engineering, which again I was, which I'm openly um, was useless at at that point in my career. <laughs> um, trying to work out what I needed, just wanted to drive. I just wanted to get back out there. I was like, you know, this is boring sitting in the pit lane and having to try and reset the car up. I just want to drive around. So um, that was a big Achilles heel for me that year. I think I had the most poles, but um, yeah, just in terms of racing and, and, and really didn't like finishing second or third, so had a few shunts. And, um, but uh, yeah, Brighty did a good job that year, um, and but finished the year uh, winning the Adelaide race, which was good at the Grand Prix. Um, that was my last 1600 race in, in Australia. Yeah, my last Formula Ford race, actually, in Australia. Yeah, and then you headed to, to the UK yeah, the year yeah. after that. At that point... Um, was there a V8 team sniffing? Was there ever a, a, an overture made, a, a deal offered or a, a case? I know you were very clear in where you wanted to go and yeah. what you wanted to do, but was there ever yeah. a, a discussion of, hey, come and have a steer of one or see what you've, you know, <coughs> just have a drive or, hey, could we get you to do a, an injury? Not a, that I remember. Um, I had definitely a lot more approaches um, at the back of my career once I'd, once I'd raced in tell, Europe. Tell but, more. Um, tell more. Yeah, but I will do. But um, I hadn't, like, I, I was a big, believer and so was dad and i suppose and and Anne and the people close to me that we didn't really we weren't i suppose big fans of plan b's we we just had a one one real plan a and that was to get to europe and, and not really try and come back i mean that would have been a um a bit of a failure really so we tried and that, our goal was just really focusing on, on on going to formula one and um that was how uh, we viewed it and I just saw all the rest as noise and distraction and something that was going to dilute my focus on on achieving uh, single seater uh, you know the, the the top echelon of Formula One racing or, or car racing in general so no there was no real appetite for me to to do that I I, I, I don't even know if we 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 went to any of the the we raced it with the touring cars obviously but um yeah it wasn't really my bag to be be looking at that but then obviously after that there was the odd chat here and there um i mean roland approached me um at abu dhabi i think it was i don't know 12 or 13 or somewhere in there where you know there's certainly no shortage of opportunities for the endurance seats um and uh he said let me know if you want to you know have a test or come and maybe look at doing the race and um yeah i said i'm okay i'm fine um you've got more than i've got more than enough good guys down there to do it so uh yeah, I'll let, I'll let that one pass. And Tom Hawkinshaw, did he ever crack at steering in at HRT, given the, the links that he yeah, had and you were in Arrows yeah, and Scotty? Yeah, probably was, actually, yeah. There was some stuff with Tommy. That was what we nearly 20 years ago now. Mm. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, Tom, yep, um, with uh, with Flavio and all that back then was... Um, but I don't... I don't, I don't, I don't I can't remember any real hard 
hard um, approaches. It was really just, sort of, but I think they just knew that I wasn't overly keen to come back. It was almost a, ah, we'll ask anyway, but we kind of know what the answer is. It's yeah, I think so. Not, it just wasn't totally not an arrogant way. It was just like, I just, as I say, I just saw it as I didn't really, it was not going to help Formula One at all, mm. you know, um, and it was just going to be a distraction and, and something I didn't really need to do at that point in my career, so little chapter that's probably overlooked a bit is your your first wings and slicks formula holden which is a category that gave lots of guys that step mm. from formula ford to overseas or formula ford to v8s um uh, barana i think you did that's a bit right, of steering yeah, at barana Ramsey, yeah, Ramsey, 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 yeah great um great team it was actually interesting because i think he, they were trying to lift the profile that the championship in in uh in 95 and um yeah they're basically free drives i mean they gave me a few runs at malala and then i drove at at um at melbourne uh 96 i think um yeah which which uh which was very good for me to drive those cars because they were still they were still pretty quick cars um and i was pretty young to drive those cars back then with not much experience um was was good for me to have that exposure to those so um malcolm put together you know barana put together a really really good a good car um <clears throat> i didn't drive for him in melbourne in 96 um drove for another team there um but in terms of that experience for me to drive the slightly quicker cars didn't really fit in in that world they were really small cars so my size was a real bloody pain in the ass but um literally a pain in the ass but um <laughs> yeah it was it was great exposure for me to feel you know the the grip and you know getting on top of those cars they had no electronics they were pretty raw you know um you know no traction control obviously and it was really you had to strap those cars to your back and try and get them on their tippy toes which i don't think i mean i did okay um but i didn't really just because i was you know you only go into the race weekends it wasn't really much testing um but good fun to drive at albert park for sure speaking of <coughs> testing we went back through the files we've gone through the magazines do you remember testing a Nissan Maxima for the Eastern Creek 12-hour production car race in a deal that, that didn't happen? I think Cyril might have been tied up in this and, and Steve might have been tied up wow. in this. Yeah. It's been filed um, away somewhere deep back in the, the Weber brain file. Somewhere. Wow. Yeah. Um, I do remember something along those lines. I have no idea what we're trying to achieve. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, you're right. Cyril and um, Pee Wee and, and, and Steve, um, unfortunately, is not with us anymore. Steve um, has passed away since, but... Um, yeah, I think they were keen for me to drive something there, um, but it didn't happen. I don't know why it didn't happen. Did the race happen, or did the event happen, or the, did the event happen? But the you event were happened, there, so. but I, I didn't turn up. So um, dodged a bullet. <laughs> I'm not sure the Nissan Maxima's motorsport pedigree is. Um, it's been terribly well established yes. since anyway, yes. so it's probably not such a bad thing that you, yeah. you didn't go there. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint. May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Hey, you brought out, remember bringing out the Mercedes GT car to Australia and it was a, a thing at Albert Park mm. where you did laps and, but yep. you scared the crap out of journos at Calder one day and there's yeah. a certain one that we know, we might not name him, Phil Brannigan, who was very green at no, the end of that. We that but that was an awesome, We won't awesome name car. him, Mum. It was good. It was, it was brilliant. It had a lot of horsepower, huge amount of torque, um, V12, 7.2 litre, I think, um, so... Uh, Passenger-wise, it wasn't too bad for them to get in. It was pretty tight. So I get how people probably, you know, in terms of claustrophobia factor and, and sort of being in something which was 
quite um, daunting to sit next to, to me and also uh, well me with the car but I mean I knew that car really well that was a car which I definitely could um, squeeze this squeeze the pace out of it quite well so I knew that well I didn't know call the park at all obviously what I did know is how bumpy the front straight was in terms of you know that thing wasn't too it happy hasn't there. got any better yeah. I can tell you by the <laughs> it way it was too. very bumpy so but yeah it was good it was good fun it was nice to have that out here and a nice little promo for uh, for Mercedes at the time and um yeah, it's not often that the Europeans, uh, sorry, the European cars back then, those type of cars, did much work out here. So it was nice to put a few journos in. And you're right, Phil was, um, you know, he was. He, I think I could have owned his house, you know, at halfway around, saying, "Mate, you know, so what's on the table, mate? What do you got? Everything, mate? You, you want to get it? You can have everything, mate." He's pointing at the pits. So um, yeah, and he was green, and then so yeah, he was, he was absolutely useless. <laughs> that Merc. Uh, and that Merck little era here, that's an era where massive expense, lots of testing, throwing everything at it. Mm. The Le Mans element, the FIA mm. GT series. We won't go into Le Mans 99, it's been yep. really well covered. But to actually drive, you know, open, uh, you'd been in single seaters, you mm. go to a roofed car, but what were those things like to actually drive? Could you manhandle them? Was there a line? Could you get the most out of them by throwing them? Or did you have to be a little bit patient with them? What, what were they like? Yeah, um, tremendous experience for me because it, you're right the the financial side was was brilliant for me to be involved with in terms of how much resource they put around uh developing those cars uh so as a driver to learn about now you know clearly the engineering side the development side you know working he- heavily with the tire manufacturers which was just like we were testing so Next much level. so yeah so i was very keen to be involved in that also they they took a bit of a shine to me in a good way so i did do a lot of the work which was great along with bernd schneider why did um, they take so it why did they take a shine i don't know <laughs> probably because i was just the the stupid guy that did a lot of laps and um was was i suppose reasonably fit to hang on to that thing for, for hours on end but um for example like obviously alessandro nanini who obviously had um his issues with his arm and stuff but i remember i tested magello and he sort of went home after like half a day because he saw the test program and said you know i'm not going to be doing this these germans are crazy so i had to double up and do do a big shift there but um yeah that was brilliant for me sensational initiation on what it means actually turning pro like actually you know um yeah it wasn't just about uh always the lap time it was about you know building a building a picture and developing a car and and different type of circuits and you know top speeds and downforce and and um yeah so that was really really great for me to be involved and also Bernd Schneider was instrumental in sort of developing me as a young driver in in understanding what really is important in our, in my trade um so yeah single seaters didn't give me that i mean obviously i was I, w- I wanted to get back into single seaters i was formula one but it was it was a point in my career where i really really enjoyed and um yeah that was that was really special times you got back in to the open wheelers 3000s with with stoddy mm. Where, when, how do you meet Paul Stoddard? How does this all happen? How does this bloke from um, Coburg end up hooking up with a bloke from Queen Bee? Yeah, amazing, isn't it? Um, how that sort of come about? I was um, well after you know all the the Le Mans stuff and Mercedes at that debacle there. Um, I was out of a drive. They were keen for me to go, maybe and, and have a look at IndyCar. Uh, Which for, you weren't foresight. No, I wasn't keen. Uh, foresight. Um, had Greg Moore at the time. Greg Moore was had signed for Roger, and there was a seat at Foresight maybe coming around. And tragically, Greg got killed mm. uh, in Fontana at the end of that year. So '99 was a really difficult year for all of us for lots of different reasons. And um, but I was still floating around in the UK. I was doing Eddie Jordan's head in actually. I was going to Eddie's factory a lot, saying, "Give me a test. I can do some." any work for Jordan. Damon Hill was a little bit on the edge at the time there with his motivation. And I mean, I was just 
just winging it but I was doing that I was I was very frustrating I think for those team bosses because he just would, wouldn't go away and um, I think I actually followed Eddie Jordan one day on the motorway I was trying to follow him in my box 1.1 B-Reg Fiesta like a Ford Ford Fiesta like you know I want to shirt front him at, at, at the petrol, petrol station or something just to get in front of him because his, his PA was always brushing calls and, and, and I was being difficult and um Anyway, finally got to to see Eddie at, at the factory there, and um, and he was great, and we're, we're we're good mates to this day. But um, and he tells the story a lot better than I do because he's obviously a great storyteller. Is is Edmund, and um, he said you got to meet this guy Paul Stoddart, and um, actually he's over at Silverstone now. So I went over to see Stoddy, and Stoddy said, well, let's organise a test, and we went. I remember I went down to Pembrey of all places in a Formula Three Thousand car, which is a tight little track, and quick in sections in a Formula 3000 car and um, I was used to you know having Mercedes and and turned up with Stoddy and obviously it was a, a pretty <laughs> modest setup to say the least and uh, yes yeah, did a few laps and Stoddy said yeah you got the drive mate um, let's, let's do it next year so that was as simple as that a lot of F1 drivers, drivers of Indy cars, sports cars, have ended up with the car that's most special to them. They've got it mm. in their collection, or mm. they've, they've done a deal in their latest contract or their mm. last contract. Do you own any of your old cars? Would you like to? Have you ever chatted to any of your yeah. teams or manufacturers? I would have loved to have had the foresight to, to look at that at the time, but I wasn't. In terms of negotiation, I didn't have much on the table to to offer that little cherry on the cake for me maybe on on the exit on the way out um because i just wanted to drive and just focus on i suppose the now and the and the the urgency of the situation um but i have got my um my british grand prix uh winning car so um i won monaco that year in 2010 but i destroyed that car in valencia um when i crashed there so then i went to the next best car which was which was when i said not bad for number two driver Mm -hmm. um so that car i have um and red bull did a beautiful i mean the guys did an incredible job and that car is absolutely as across the line um beautiful beautiful across the line in spec in livery and wings the sticker the sticker sticker for the british grand prix 2010 that's that car is at a museum at the moment and going to be in the Silverstone Museum soon when that opens. So, um, yeah, Silverstone, literally emails flying around last night about um, that car moving up there whenever the museum's finished. So, that'd be good. Uh, does it have an engine? Yes. It's a runner? Yep. Well, it, it hasn't. Yeah, it needs it to run more. Run. But the French, you know, I need, to get, I need to get 15 Frenchies over to probably <laughs> have a test day somewhere with it. Um, but Timo Bernard, my teammate at Porsche, has always been busting my nuts to say, well, we've got to do a track day and we've got to do track day. And I was like, yeah, we should do. But, yeah, I'm not as enthusiastic as he is. How do you go and do the deal on buying a Formula One car? It seems to be beyond most people in the world, but there's plenty of them floating around. Uh, yeah, there is, and they're probably not worth as much as people think. I mean, that one's got a bit of history, actually, so it's probably, that's you know, it's a good car to own. Obviously, Sebastian won the Malaysian Grand Prix of that year, and I won the Hungarian Grand Prix and the British Grand Prix, and um, actually, and then all the, you know, there's a lot of fastest laps and podiums, and um, yeah, so it's a pretty pretty special chassis, that, chassis, that one, but um, I just... Yeah, just part of our contract negotiation. We said at the end of the year, can we have a car? And um, that was it. But I don't, you know, I'm not really a big hoarder, to be honest. Like, guys have helmets, they have suits. They have, I've got some good stuff. Everything I had great results in, I've got. Yeah. But I'm not a guy that has, you know, 50 of my own helmets in my one living room. One of every year, yeah, yeah, one exactly. of every livery, yeah, one exactly. of every. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't need that in my living room because I've got the memories in my head. You, I don't need to. You, you know, were there. You did it. Oh, yeah, exactly. I don't need to. 
be a shrine to my own self in my own house. A bit, bit, uh, bit <laughs> I'm sick. sure Andrew would not put up <laughs> yes. with that. Uh, no. A lot of racing drivers love it, but um, I'm not one of those. Uh, so what does happen with... I mean, that's an interesting thing that our listeners mm. would be interested in. Under your deal, do you, yep. you keep your helmets? Do you keep your suits? Do the team keep some? Do you keep some and they go to sponsors? Do you sell them all? What, yeah, does it all work? Yeah, actually, a mixture of all that. So basically the team, depending on, you know, like Williams like to have a lot of the kit back uh, for example Porsche probably 50-50 you know where um, yeah I've always had enjoyed a tremendous relationship with Arai so Arai have supplied me with helmets since 1994 um, so yeah um, and I never really again I, I didn't you know take the Michael on allocation I just used the helmets that I needed to have to, to get the job done um, but that's a changing space right now. I think a lot of guys just, you know, helmets are two a penny and um, certainly the designs and how they do those type of things. But, um, yeah, I've given a lot to charity over the years. Uh, Wings for Life, which is Red Bull's charity, um, certainly you know, allocated a lot of a lot of my equipment to them. Um, and I have sold the odd helmet here and there, but not, but not many, like very, very... I know where they all are. Um, and people have got those and I actually also have the probably the first right to buy those helmets back um, if they ever go on the market, if they ever want to sell them. So, yeah. Um, but helmets and suits are very prestigious, obviously. Um, obviously, and, then, and obviously the trophies are, are, are clearly, um, you know, I have those. Um, and that's, yeah, that's... Um how yeah, that really works, yeah. So you're a stalker because you stalked Eddie Jordan, but you're not a hoarder. So that probably evens out. That's, yes, that's that's not too bad. Yes. It could be, it yes. could be a hell of a lot worse. Could be a hell yeah. of a lot worse. What about an O2 Minardi from the Australian Grand yeah. Prix? I have great memories of that day, yeah. as a lot of people do, and yes. you certainly will. Mm. Um, the only time anyone would probably want to collect an Asia Tech V10 <laughs> engine, anyway, that'd be a nice one to have. No idea where it is. We do. no idea. Yeah, it's probably is it's where kicking is it? around is it? in the Netherlands somewhere. Is it okay? Yeah. Which, we could do a deal. We could broker a deal here for you. For yeah, this. yeah. Um, another car didn't really fit in that well, but um, yeah, tremendous memories, and and I love driving that car. It was a car that I, I felt that I could drive reasonably well. I remember Monaco was furious there. We should have got some points also in that race, but we got a, a punch out late in the race. Um, and oh, I don't know if we got point. You certainly were in the top eight, or top like a genuine result. And that, that was, was the days of good, top six yeah, being that's points, right, not yeah, top ten. So yeah, yeah so it was a. Uh, good little car, um, and I'm in touch with all the guys. Uh, Tradotzi, who who um, who designed the car, and uh, yeah, obviously, and, and Asia Tech. That was an old Peugeot engine. I think it revved mm. at 16.4, which was gutless compared to the big stuff. It was heavy. It was didn't rev. It was, and we got a glorious, you know, party mode of another 100 RPM. I think so. It was a. <laughs> it wasn't a very good. Party. It was. It was a joke. Yeah, that engine. <laughs> what wasn't a joke was it's 10 years ago this year since your first Grand Prix win. Yeah, the Nurburgring. That's scary. Is is that as vivid in your mind now as it is as it was the day after? Yeah, parts of the race, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, it was. It was. I lost the British Grand Prix, which I felt you know, in my own head it was my right to win that British Grand Prix because we had the car to win the British Grand Prix, and and Sebastian uh, got pole, which um, which infu- infuriated me. And then um, I thought that. Uh, uh, I got to win the German Grand Prix then because um, you know again we had a car that was was pretty pretty competitive there and Sebastian never got on with the track at Nurburgring that well he didn't he didn't like it and also sort of the home race jinx if you like I think Seb's mm. had a good run in Germany in general as Michael didn't for ages um, and you and didn't in Australia same as Australia exactly and Jensen in the British Grand Prix I don't think JB's ever had a podium Jen, mm. we always joke JB said mate can we just share trophy cabinets because <laughs> you win the British Grand Prix for fun he said well you win the Australian Grand Prix for fun so that's just how it was. Um, 
but uh, yeah, you know the start, and I got a penalty and bits and bobs, and the race went on. It was just, I just, it was just one of those days where it was just, it was, it was, uh, it was probably going to be not an arrogant way, only going to be one win. Other lap times were really strong in my favour and consistently. Then I just saw the weather coming a little bit. I thought, oh, don't you know, come on, don't you know, don't test me now. We don't need any any top spin at the end of this race. Just to keep it dry, which it was, and. Yeah, national anthem, very powerful that day. Very, a lot of relief, and I broke my leg in the off season, and so I'd had a bit of a, a bit of an interesting start to the year, and it was a good win. Goat by Sea has been never sung with as much gusto in yeah. Germany anywhere <laughs> ever yes. before. Which, yes. what does Gert mean? Uh, yeah, with the story of the world. Anyway. Yes. Um, we won't get into national anthem no, these no, days. No, 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 it's a whole other topic. Yeah. Did you do one of those two-seater Minardi races? No, I never raced. Good, I did some. Smart man. I did some taxi laps. Um, uh, yeah, did some taxi laps, which was great, um, but never raced it. Smart man, good never, idea. Never, never knew idea. they did race it. Yeah, they they actually did some racing. No, it, it didn't go well. Only Stoddy could pull that off. Correct. I think he might have been driving Only one of them could pull that off, yeah. at the time. So, um, some cash deals done there. For oh, sure. no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Are you happy with your lot? Now that it's done, the war's over. You've got plenty keeping you busy. You you work with Porsche. Your television yeah. work. You, yeah. You happy in life? Yeah. I mean, I think that um, to leave Queen Bien, you know, growing up there, I was very fortunate to grow up there. Very, very good town. Um, sport mad. Um, had a, you know, really balanced and honest little household there. You know, a bit of discipline, obviously, which is never goes, goes uh, never, never too too short of, of having a bit of that here and there, which is good. These, not as much of that we should have these days, obviously, being a bit, I suppose, old school here and there. But um, so it was great going up there and then, yeah, just followed my followed my instinct pretty much all my all my career and and um, yeah raced against. I just think you know I always look back and say you know you know being being you know when I had the chance to race. There's certain I think there's like the Spanish Grand Prix in ten. I think the first corner's like I don't know in no particular order, but it's like you know it's Fernando, it's Lewis, it's Michael, Sebastian, Robert, Jensen. Um, yeah, so Nico, uh, Rubens. Um, it's not a bad bunch. A couple of good resumes yes. among all of there when you, yes. so, uh, when yeah, you do that add it all Kimi, together. Got Kimi there. So, um, yeah, I raced certainly in a, in a very special time in Formula One um, and across different regulations as well, um, you know, different engines and, you know, V10s and V8s and whatnot, trash control on, trash control off, you know, all sorts. So had to always adapt. Um, and now I'm, yeah, and I've met so I've traveled the world. I've met some incredible people. I've learned, I'm, I'm learning every day off new people that keep challenging me. So um, that's that's important and blessed to be associated with some great with some great brands um so yeah that's i'm very thankful for that we talked about the first race that win in f1 was 10 years ago what are you doing in 10 years are you still doing ambassador stuff are you still doing tally uh, or are you going to just <coughs> slip out the back door and go and have a nice quiet life somewhere probably, we don't see you again probably the latter um yeah i think uh you know i love uh I, I do love I love the outdoors I'm a country boy at heart so I grew up like that um, but I got some I, I don't know what, what it is yet but some unfinished business in racing in terms of I still enjoy the adrenaline I still enjoy being in the garage not being in the cockpit at all I'm not I'm not looking for that but looking for being involved in racing obviously Porsche we're going to you know obviously what Formula E coming up we've got some different type of racing that um, yeah that we're involved in there um, and Formula 1 is still you know something that I'm very close to so you know who knows but um, so we talk yeah. uh, what uh, management of course or, yeah, yeah something like yeah. that it's the only thing you could do yeah. I mean with not being in the cockpit um, 
Uh, I mean, I don't mind sweeping floors, but I'm not going to be doing that. Um, but in terms of, uh, yeah, it's it's something which having having an impact, I suppose, with the experience that you've got and working with the drivers, I think engineers and those type of things is really, really re- rewarding. Um, and yeah, so um, yeah, that's something that could happen. But again, I'm not, uh, you know, let's, let's see how that goes. But in 10 years, yeah, so what will it be, 53? Um, but, you know, 50 is a new... It's young, so uh, yeah, I think hopefully I'll be still in reasonable nick. Um, But I don't know, we'll see. Chilling with my dog somewhere, um, and and pretty and pretty relaxed. A bit of bit of acreage and very very uh, simple. Yeah, I've dodged a few bullets in my time, so it's nice to. uh, I'm planning to go as long as I can now, having kissed a few angels on the way through. Yeah. Very cool. But before we wrap up, we're nearly done. We want to wheel in a thing this year for our V8 Sleuth podcast that is our top 10 shootout. Hmm. So I've got 10 things. People, cars, names, things. You give me the first word or I'll let you have two or three words that come hmm. to mind when I rattle through them. So uh, AGP. Uh, well, probably my first race, yeah. Alan Docking. Yeah, uh, taught me a truckload. That's more than one word, Mark. Yeah. yeah. Oh, one word. I'm only yeah, one, one word. word. Wow. Yeah. Maybe two. Uh, I'll let you have two or three potentially. Yeah. Uh, Alan Dawkins, of course, you drove for in British F3. Ex-Battles. Down to Earth. It's got hyphens in it. I'll count it as one word. Yes. Fair call. Fair call. Bern Schneider. Big Brother. That's two words. We're getting better at this. By the you end of it, you could two or three. I, I said, I said, yes, yes, correct. Yes. But by the end of it, you'll have worked your way down to one. Yeah, I will. 919 Hybrid. Beast. Norbert Haug. Uh, Norbert, yeah, that's tough. Do we for put one a time word. limit on this as yeah, well? Exactly, yeah. Uh, mm, Norbert, um, he's a racer. There you go. He's a racer. Adrian Newey. Uh, genius. RB6. Adrian's work. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> Fernando Alonso. Uh, Matador. Nice. We're getting down to one word here. This is good. IndyCar. Good to watch. We've gone back to three words, but this is okay. <laughs> and uh, that's nine down, so we've got one left. Uh, Helmut Marco. Uh, Austrian? Austrian, yeah. He's Austrian, yeah. There you go. Job's done. Top yeah. 10 shootouts complete. Yes. Well bowled. Um, well, uh, thanks for no sitting worries. down with us. Great to go through some some of the things that you might not have been asked for a while. Some of the things that have probably hurt your brain to go through as well. It but does, yeah. It's like it's, you've got to go deep in the filing cabinet. But um, no, it's been great. Catching up, mate. Thanks Pl- for that. Pleasure. And, uh, we can turn the lights on in the room now. Yeah, that sounds a little strange when you say yes, that, but we've recorded yeah. this podcast in a nice, quiet Porsche transporter where we've had to turn the lights off, close the door. We have a very intimate setting where you've kindly turned your mobile phone light on. So thank yes. you for bringing no some worries. light to this podcast. Yeah, and the battery's dead. Oh, Thanks, guys. So we're done. Yeah. Well, there you go. A very quick podcast chat, but we packed plenty of good stuff in there. Thank you once again to Mark Weber. It was really great to catch up with him. I haven't seen him for quite some time and to talk about a few elements of his career, probably a few things that he hasn't been asked about in a very long time. And after all, I can't really blame him for erasing that Nissan Maxima from his memory bank either. Hey, keep an eye to V8 Sleuth website, v8sleuth.com.au and our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages for our next episode. Until then though, hope you've enjoyed the podcast. We'll catch you next time on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Dory. Every lap in under a minute... 
means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars, unforgettable. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out.